So I am with Brendan Rao, who is friend and ice cream lover. Mm, here, here. And lover of poetry and many other things that we'll probably touch on as we go. Mm. Um, and we are on the unceded and stolen lands of the Coast Salish people. Mm. And most especially for us, the Samiamu, our neighbor. And while we're grateful for their resilience, we are certainly saddened that their resilience is required and continues to be required. Yeah. And so this is the conversation, and it is meant to be exactly that. So this is um, unrehearsed, as all of these posts will be. Mm. And we're just going to explore the idea this morning of how the definition or the idea of living fully has changed for you. Hmm. So I'm just going to open that up to whatever yeah. stories or ideas occur to you. That's a great question. Living fully. I think one of the changes for me is a shift from living fully as a private project just for me to figure out in my own headspace on my own. So almost taking too much responsibility for that as if I alone can somehow do that and succeed on that. And if I don't, then I, I somehow have to hold myself accountable and look down on myself when I can't live a more full and rich life. So the shift from me being just an individual to being an individual is kind of a new, mm -hmm. huh, I'm more than just a single person in a vacuum. I exist in a web of a lot of a stuff and all that stuff and people and land and I don't know, just the diversity around me is mm -hmm. actually part of my journey of living. Um, so I'm kind of still exploring that. I probably still tend to a self-sufficiency or this is my project and I succeed or fail on my own, but more and more it's like, oh being an interbeing and slowing down. I've recently discovered on our property here at Kingfisher Farm in South Surrey, there is an aspen clone or an aspen grove. My son-in-law is a botanist, so we were going for a walk and he's like, Dad, look at this. We had some cows years ago and they were eating everything and so all the new little growths weren't allowed to thrive and we fenced that off and now he's like, oh, all of these are trembling aspens and there's only two main original trees and the rest are all part of the exact same clone family and they live a complete life of interdependence. I'm like, huh. And I kind of want to go out there and just be with them. Or is it true that I'm somehow connected to them? And I don't know. So it just doesn't make me feel as alone in trying to live fully, but relax into supports and truths and places and words and 
music and I don't know the never-ending faces of what's around me to assist me in the drama and sometimes the humility of trying to live fully does that make any sense it does it does a lot um We've talked in the the gathering, which is our our weekly online session, about um, how our culture has really shaped us with a narrative of you know what you achieve is up to you, mm-hmm. and and the sort of the Western individualism and pull yourself up by your own bootstraps mm-hmm. and. Yeah. You know, if if you need answers, you go find them, and and right. you know, it's your own work. Yeah. Um, and if you don't do it well, you take it on the chin, yeah. and you kind of bear down on yourself to ask for better performance or better behavior, which is not helpful. Yeah, and I I think back to. Um, experiences that I had as a child we we lived in for a time uh, in central Alberta and the harvest in central Alberta can often be you know because of weather or other conditions a really stressful time and um, watching farmers kind of band together to get that harvest off Mm. Um, and times in particular fields where there would be you know, four or five different local farmers bringing their equipment in and getting things off a field. And the sort of incredibly cooperative nature, not just of the local farming community to get that harvest in, but looking back from a vantage point that I have now, um, the cooperation of land and Mm -hmm. rain and all of Mm -hmm. those things. Yeah. Um, that we would then later hear a, a farmer talk about my harvest, right. my farm. Yeah. Um, and I, I think, and maybe you can reflect on this, I, I think there's still a hesitance in us to really openly admit that, mm. that we're not getting the harvest off by ourselves in terms right. of our own growth or our own... Yeah beingness in the world yeah yeah it's ironic it seems we all love to watch a beautiful team partner and collaborate and put a movie together and the director and the photographer and you know it's it's something we love to watch and it brings us so much joy but yet in our own stories we somehow are a bit humbled by needing people and support and ecosystems and that there's a lot of vulnerability in going it alone and it's actually absurd and kind of arrogant reading braiding sweetgrass by robin wall kimmerer mm-hmm. this wonderful yeah. indigenous botanist and her sense of being raised by strawberries <laughs> and a certain time of the year and what the forest gives and the gift economy gratitude for what's already there when you wake up and where you get your breath from to begin with and all this dependence that's just there with mother earth it's like why am i humbled by that how needy i am and 
I get to be a character in it and I get to play along and I get to contribute. Yeah, I've been reading through Richard Wagamy's book, his last one produced posthumously, I think called One Drum, which is he's trying to articulate the seven teachings from the grandfathers in his Ojibwe culture. And it's just so delicious. The first teaching is humility. And I come from a certain religious background where humility always had to do with a very strong sense of sin and shame and self-abasement or something. So humility was always an odd, conflicting word. And to hear him talk about humility and groundedness and earthiness and which animals embody humility and belonging to a larger ecosphere and actually has this breath practice where you just come into the present moment and you say out loud, I am one with creation. Mm-hmm. It's like, what? Yeah. And that's a humbling thing. And for him and for the indigenous culture he speaks from, humility is the doorway to courage. It's like, oh, those two things fit together. So I'm just, the humility of belonging and owning that. And isn't the Latin word for humility close to soil or earth? Yeah, it's like hummus. Yeah, so it's like, Right down on the ground, smelling it. Um, so yeah, I feel like I'm waking up and thankful for indigenous poets and writers who are claiming that and leading the way and mm-hmm. having confidence to bring us their traditions that had to be hidden because of our colonial threat. Um, so yeah, that's... And I think alongside of that, I grew up with this gut sense that I was separated from a lot of things. So I, I was under the conviction I was separate from any kind of a loving God or I was separate from... There's just this sense of you're kind of separate from things due to your own, mm-hmm. your own choices and your own behaviors and your own inefficiencies. So now it's like, oh, I'm suffering from the illusion of separation, which creates this independence and sometimes this arrogance and this overcompromised, overachieving attempt. It's like, what if I am more connected? Mm -hmm. What if it? What if it's just pure gift? From the day I was born, you you belong on this planet. You're part of a lot of relatives far larger than your family, than your gene pool. What if you do belong to God from the very first breath you take? So just coming home time and time again, you're connected. You might feel separate. You might have history of that ideology. So I kind of wonder if living fully is as simple as I'm not separate. I belong, I I get to partake of, and finding faces and places that remind me of that or help me to Mm -hmm. trust that a bit more, because it seems like most days when I wake up, I wake up with a bit of headache of thinking I'm alone. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like, oh, it's up to me, 
here's my schedule, here's my list, here's my net worth, here's what I have to do. And it's like, huh, when do I finally say yes? I, I'm not on my own. I'm not separate. I belong in my marriage, in my family, in my neighborhood. But often I wake up going, no, I'm still stuck within that old stubborn sense that it's up to you. I think that's a place where my my learning and studying in, in Buddhism has opened a door for me. Mm. Um, I, I grew up in a very similar kind of tradition, and one of the the core teachings we heard right almost from birth um, was that that concept of sin, our sin, separated us from yeah. God and from each other, and yeah. um, and so there's that that sort of almost inbred or at least learned very mm. early sense of. I'm isolated and it's all on my shoulders to make the right decision. And when I encountered, um, really looked into um, Buddhism probably 13, 14 years ago for the first time, really dug in, that idea of the interconnectedness of all things, Mm -hmm. that that, beautiful wildflower I walk past in the park on my walk Mm -hmm. is kin to me. Mm -hmm. It's it's a cousin Mm -hmm. or a sister. Um, and to experience that as a part of my belonging Mm. is something that I I get to in fits and starts. It's so Mm -hmm. easy to just not pay attention. Yeah. And then my body needs to experience that. I just can't do it intellectually. There's Mm -hmm. almost a separation from my body and from a heart space. There's such a cognition a mental over-functioning. So it's like, oh, to even be more connected to different parts of my humanity. Mm-hmm. So having a body and tasting and yeah. acknowledging my emotions and letting them be and wondering what they need and kind of the interconnectedness even within me, all the different parts of me. Um, so yeah, I'm finding that more part of living fully and wholly is discovering the place of my body within that, which has often been a distant caboose. Caboose that doesn't seem to really matter. Now it's like, oh, mm-hmm. you have a wisdom or an intelligence or a felt sense that I I get to include or come home to. That's not bad. Yeah. I've I've started a practice since being in this COVID kind of lockdown that we're in, and we're recording this during the kind of mid or, yeah, I guess late mid of 2020. So we're right in the middle of COVID. We've had some pretty high numbers again, so we don't know if we're in second phase or just... Yeah, yeah. where we're at with this. I've, I've started a practice, though, of recognizing that the sensory world around me is actually a gift that my body gives me. Mm. And and trying to move that out of just the cognitive thinking about yeah. what my senses can do. So yeah. trying to to reflect a little bit every day on you know that first sip of coffee in the morning mm. is a gift because my body can mm-hmm. mediate that gift to me. Mm. Taste buds and nerves and mm-hmm. neurons and you know all yeah. of those things. Yeah. Um, and the same thing with with you know seeing beauty. It's mm-hmm. it's a physical body that mediates and gives that gift to me. Yeah. So, 
trying to, to find not only a different kind of relationship with, with fully existing as a body in mm-hmm. this world. Yeah. Yeah, I've bumped into Thich Nhat Hanh's, some of his thoughts on walking meditation and just mm-hmm. his voice and his invitation and just go out on the land and find a rhythm with your breath and your feet and feel the soles of your feet kind of kissing or touching the earth and just say yes and say thank you and just be in that moment and slow down to allow your breath and the earth to be all together and I'm like it seems so simple and yet it's so embodied and I get confused at times with my faith background and the way I used to kind of connect to God and the place of Jesus in that and now it's like when he tends to say "Ah, please don't live in worry and stress don't take it all on yourself and oh by the way go out and consider some birds and go look at the grass it's like wow you were offering your own place of meditation and and how come that got lost? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what? This is Jesus's really, it feels like a bit of modern psychology, like go into nature, go for a forest bath, go find a place of beauty that you connect with. Go sit with the aspens. Go sit with the trembling aspens in your own trembling. <laughs> yeah, so I love to discover that and kind of find a new way to enjoy faith and to allow those things to almost be rediscovered in ways that they were kind of lost or had just one channel or one message. Um, so it's a fun surprise. We're trying to offer a bit of a resource with some of these podcasts. Hmm. Um, so I just want to ask you if there's um, things you've read, maybe poets you've encountered or, or authors you've encountered who've served you this hmm. far on this journey that you um, that you might offer to some of the people who will encounter this? Hmm. I've mentioned already um, Robin Wall Kimmerer, Braiding Sweetgrass. It's just a beautiful play of indigenous sensitivity, yet with a scientific twist. So I would totally recommend that. Obviously, I mentioned Richard Ragamese again, so anything to be read by him it's just, uh, it's like finding a mentor or at least a voice with a lot of indigenous awareness that slowly helps you awaken to that worldview. Mary Oliver as a poet, my wife is working through her anthology, so just her earthiness and her way with words and creation, it, it opened me up. And to actually memorize one enough so you can recite it, perform it, mm-hmm. um, adds something to it. I forget the name of the author, but The Spell of the Sensuous by Abrams, maybe? Yes. Ah, it's just, again, his insistence on living a sensuous life and what that means for him and how that relates to words and language and indigenous cultures around the world and the research behind that book. And, yeah, that to me was... A marvelous opening. Mm-hmm. 
Is there something that popped to mind? But I'm also on the lookout, you know, podcast stuff you guys are doing. Like it's so needed and so helpful to explore this and be a part of the conversation. I love the idea. These are just organic conversations where it's not just experts teaching from a distance, but fellow humans who are <laughs> in their own journey of being beginners and learning and creating space for others to co-learn as a form of deep play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can we be children again who learn to play together? And... and that idea of children touches on one of the the important things I think of the the work that we do. Um, Buddhism talks about the child's mind or the beginner's mind, mm. where you you come not as you know sort of the expert with your adult dignity all attached to things, mm. but as the child to explore and to play and to be mm. imaginative and curious mm-hmm. and, you know, maybe not put the Lego together exactly the way the cover of the box looks, right. but to put it together the way that, that you feel in the moment to be creative. So, yeah. um, we're hoping that a lot of these tools and, and strategies and skills that we're offering will be Lego, that they'll be put mm. together in, oh, awesome. in ways that suit other people. So thank you. We're going to invite you to do this again, if you're willing. Oh, awesome. Thanks for the invitation. It's and, uh, great to be in the, in the dialogue. There we go. And that's the idea of this, that, that living fully with that emphasis on how do we live fully is not handed down to us by experts, mm-hmm. but it's explored in community. Mm, that's awesome. And so thank you for cool. joining us. Hey, wish you well as you carry on in that, in that great journey. Thanks.